Hello, and welcome to Music Rewind, a podcast where we look to tell the stories behind our favorite albums. I'm your host, Steve Epley, and in each episode, I will invite a guest to tell us about their favorite music album, how they discovered it, and what makes it special to them. Joining me today is another old friend from my high school days, the infamous Danny Prokop. Danny works in advertising as a copywriter up in Chicago, where he lives with his wonderful wife and kids. Music has been a passion for Danny all his life, and his memories are often soundtracked by what was playing at the time. And lastly, he is another sports legend out of Hall High School. Welcome, Danny, and thank you for being on the show. Steve, what's going on, man? First of all, infamous, like Mob Deep, huh? I, I don't know if I'm brave enough to ask what give me that distinction, or... It's, it's, it's more than famous. Yeah, but I, I don't know how... And, and did you say sports legend, Steve? I think we're stretching the... Uh, we're stretching the definition of the word legend with that one there. My, my handful of listeners in the Illinois Valley will understand. Nah, yeah, they, they're going to be the ones complaining in the comments. <laughs> I'm sure they are pumping this podcast through at Rips every week. You know, that's, yeah, yeah, and everyone's going to say, who in the hell is that guy? <laughs> Didn't he sit the bench? Those, those guys <laughs> for the 90s? You know, way oh, then. man, yeah. we're old. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for having me on, Steve. This is awesome. Um, looking forward to talking music with you. Yeah, this is, this is going to be a fun uh, episode. All right, Dan, let's, uh, let's jump right into this. What is your favorite album and how did you discover it? Well, first of all, I got to set the, the tone here because when you asked me to be on, I did, uh, you know, we were talking about this a little bit. I had a list of, I kid you not, I think I narrowed it down from 50. And I, I'm still going back and forth on it until we, until we got on. Um, and that's not to take away from the record I want to talk about, but just to tell you um, why I want to talk about it. And I want to talk about Sunny Day Real Estate's diary. For those of you who don't know, Stephen, I don't know how much you know about the record, but sort of a classic to me. I mean, now it's been, and I guess at the time it was too, but I didn't really know sort of the um, overall aesthetic or the, the storyline around it really, but it's become, or the, most people talk about it as like the cornerstone of this new, um, or at the time the newer like emo sound. It was sort of the, the link between sort of the post-punk um, or, or hardcore kind of emo thing. You know, Midwest emo is, is a turn I've heard a lot. But at the time, to me, it was just really, it came out at a time where it really spoke to me. So I'm looking forward to diving in with it, into you with it, man. Yeah, this was a surprise to me because I, I had never really dove into this group at all. Yeah. Uh, they they kind of completely blew past me. And when I when I listened to it, my first thoughts were the the early 2000s emo. Mm. And you know, bands such as, as Brand New and, and a few others where I was like, there's there a connection here? This, this is maybe the same time. And then I looked, no, this was released in 1994. Yeah. And that blew me away. I had no idea that this album was out there in the nineties uh, or that early because it sounds uh, exactly like uh, say brand new or Jimmy eat world or some, uh, some early MCR and, and some of those other bands. Uh, so yeah, I could totally see why this was a game changer for the emo scene. Well, and what's, what's odd or me, or I guess not odd, but the way that I came to it or the way that I fell in love with it was completely separate from the emo scene, if you will. And, and I know a lot of that, you know, that stuff came, 
came later. But to me, this, you know, I remember, I believe I saw the video. I, I'm assuming that I saw the video for um, seven or in circles on 120 minutes, the, uh, the bad, you know, before pre-internet and uh, staying up late on Saturday nights, you know, MTV in the Illinois Valley. I have watched that recently because it's on YouTube, the 120 minutes performance of them, like live. Yeah. 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 So I have seen that, you know, in the past 24 hours. All right. There you go. Um, but at the time this is, so this record comes out in 94, like the spring of 94 and it's sub pop it's Seattle. Um, but it's sort of, you know, going back to the spring of 94, it comes out just after. So Nirvana is over Cobain dies, I think a month before this record comes out. Oh, wow. And it really had, to me, it had nothing to do with, you know, cause we, we all grew up on that same music, right? It's Nirvana and mm-hmm. Soundgarden, the, you know, the Seattle sound and all those bands. I didn't know this was Seattle. Yeah. And what's crazy to me is I think that's what got me into it. It had to be is because it was on sub pop. I think it was just at a time where, you know, I bought it at the cassette disc jockey in the Prue mall, you know, shout out to the Prue mall. And I think it had to be just like I, like I said, I, I, I don't really remember, but my assumption is that I had to see the video on 120 minutes, bought the cassette and the, the artwork, the cover is the, um, the Fisher price. I don't know if you remember growing up, the little the, people, little yep. people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my cousin was younger and he loved those growing up and it, like there's a toaster on fire and like just weird sort of, there was no pictures of the band. Um, there were no, I don't believe on the back of the cassette, like there were song titles or anything. And it was a black sub pop cassette. It was just like so strange, but I remember what hit me about it is when you put it on, it was very aggressive, um, very melodic, heavier music, which I love. Um, you know, some of my early, you know, like injustice for all from Metallica is a, is a cornerstone record for me those early sound garden records, some of the, you know, harder stuff. And, but then that with the, um, you know, just opposed to the lyrics, this more of a, um, it's a voice that it, you're not really prepared for it when you first hear it. And I mean that in the best way possible because it doesn't necessarily go with the music to me. It sort of reminded me and I'm not, um, comparing the vocal stylings of, of the lead singer, Jeremy with, with either of these singers, but it, it reminded me of like the first time of like hearing the Smiths where yeah. you get this jangly, you know, upbeat music. And then all of a sudden, you know, Morrissey's, you know, iconic vocal stylings, but it, it, it takes a while for that to it, sort of link. Yeah, kind of uh, similar to like death cab for cutie. Uh, okay. Yeah. Where, where, where there's say just, you've got those very, you know, angsty emotional melodies that are, you know, really leading in. And then you get this voice that just like, Oh, I wasn't expecting that voice at all. Totally. And I think there was another, there's a great band to, um, out of Chicago around the same time called the smoking popes who are still around today. If, if folks might remember, they had, a, I think they had a song on the clueless soundtrack was their claim to fame at one point. And, but they got, they were pretty big. And like I said, they're still around today. I've heard of them, but I couldn't tell you a song. But they have a very similar approach. They're more pop, you know, they're more straight ahead punk and, and you know, pop punk, I guess you would call it. But um, the singer has more of that laid back sort of approach. And again, um, the lead singer, Jeremy Anik from Sunny Day doesn't have that styling, but it, it's sort of that, 
on paper, it doesn't seem like it should work. And it just did for me. And, and it was just so, I don't know. It just blew me away. I, I think, you know, you put the record on. It's very unique for the, the music that was popular at that time, the rock music. I mean, cause I, I can't compare this to Soundgarden or, or Nirvana or the pumpkins and, or even green day. It's, it's so it's unique when compared to those popular bands of the time. You know, it's interesting when you said pumpkins and I, I've been going back and spending more time with it. And, you know, another favorite record of mine and is um, Siamese dreams from the pumpkins. And to me, and I think, you know, going back to sort of emo and, and, you know, when I started talking about getting into this record, to me, I think one of the reasons why I like this record so much, and, and there's many of them <laughs> that I hope to, to fit in, but it was just sort of, it did remind me of Siamese in a way that, um, you know, you take a song like Today and you hear it and, and it became like the celebratory thing. And then you sit down and you listen to the lyrics and it's, you know, pink ribbon scars that never forget, you know, my angel wings are bruised and restrained. My belly stings. It's dark. And you're like, whoa, it's super dark. Yeah. And it's just, um, you know, I, I think Siamese is a masterpiece. And to me, this record diary shares DNA with that record to me, anyway, see that. in my head. And I think, you know, some of the softer singing from, from Billy and even when he lets go and he, you know, he starts shredding his voice and all that stuff, um, very much reminds me of, of sort of what Jeremy, you know, is doing on this record. And, and it really, you know, going back now, those bands you brought up brand new and, and Jimmy world. Um, there's actually this great book by Andy Greenwald, the pop critic, um, or pop culture critic called nothing feels good. And it's sort of a history of these, of this emo scene bands like jawbreaker and the promise ring from Milwaukee, who sort of laid the groundwork for, if you will, for these other bands that came along. And, and I'm not well-versed in, in emo at all. So if, you know, for the listeners out there who are big screaming at me that I'm getting all this information wrong about emo, I apologize. Um, but to me, coming from that um, grunge classic rock, you know, at this time too, this is 94. So, you know, 13, 14 years old. And like I said, mm -hmm. um, we're seeing the tail end. Like I said, Cobain just died, which really, you know, honestly, for me, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, but, it, and it's also sort of that you're starting to see the cracks in the facade of, you know, and some of those newer bands coming up, you've, you're starting to skip like your Limp Biscuits and some of your other, um, you know, bands clinging on to grunge, you know, to that sound, but that they didn't really have sort of the, mm -hmm. it almost became formulaic. I know exactly will. what you mean. Yeah. 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 And to me, diary just represented, it was, it was taking elements of that elements of sort of the punk, like Fugazi, you know, some of those bands that, that, but it also had, they were accomplished musicians. So it had some twinges of seventies prog in there almost, you know, it was just, it, there was a scope and a, and a, and a passion and, you know, emotion, sorry <laughs> to go on, to go on the email, but there was, they they'd bring a lot to the table. I mean, overall, I'll say it's an excellent album. Uh, oh, thank you. But the, well, that's not a but. It's an excellent album. And the the emotion that you mentioned is there. There's there's some angst. It's it's heavy. If if the lyrics spoke to you in high school, I'm sorry I wasn't there for you, man. Well, you know, there's, <laughs> I don't know what this dude was going through at the time. But there's, you know, what, what, you, what was the name of that book you just mentioned? Oh, it's called uh, Nothing Feels Good. 
And I think there, that could have been the, that could have been the name of this album. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, and I get, that's why people love it. And with emo, but to me, I think at the time, and uh, I am going to, I'm going to quote Andy Greenwald here, but he, it, and uh, not quote him, I guess I'm going to paraphrase something that he wrote in the book, but it was something along the lines of that. Jeremy was just so intense and so passionate that um, he almost loses track of language. Like the lyrics to me, it was like almost he's in, inventing words sometimes, uh, you know, or, Oh yeah. You can't really tell what he's singing, you know, unless you dive in. And, and to me, I think that's what made it even more um, sort of accessible, if you will, because it was almost just that blank slate of, you know, you're a teenager, there's pent up emotions. There's, you know, I, I love Nirvana with all my heart, but, you know, load up on guns and bring your friends. It's time to lose and to pretend. Yeah. It, you know, not to take anything away from Kurt, but that's very specific. You know, it does not necessarily speaking to me and what I'm going through and not that Jeremy was or wasn't, but just that release and that emotional release of, you know, you could sing along because you could sing anything you wanted to it. And it still made sense. Yeah. The way I prepare for these, shows uh, i'll i'll listen to the album and then i will eventually listen to the album with the lyrics in front of me uh which gotcha. has helped tremendously on some albums like pearl jam and radiohead <laughs> you know, where <laughs> yeah. you've got some some mumblers and some some whiners and and just you know there are different styles of, of singing <laughs> that uh i don't you know on initial listen you know i'm loving the music and i'm loving the way the the lyrics fit in the song but i may not be understanding every word and getting that poetry that totally. someone has written so I, I do like watching the lyrics so that i can get that full experience and then looking at the lyrics of this album i mean yeah like you like i said he, he does make up some words and some of them are just completely indecipherable yeah and i think you know not to take anything away from i'm sure he's you know jeremy's gonna listen uh, not to take anything away from him or, or as a lyricist or anyone else, but You're welcome it, to come on the show, Jeremy. Yes, please. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll bring Danny back. Okay. You guys can talk it out. Yeah. <laughs> you can yell at me and all my accomplishments, um, as a, as a songwriter. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you're right. I, I think what was, I mean, and there are some great things, you know, like in circles. Um, I think if there was, like you were saying before, nothing feels good. I, you know, the line, um, um, I dream to heal your wounds, but I bleed myself, you know, sort of, if that's not an emo banner, I'm not sure what is. So there is a lot of that. And when you dive down in it, yes, it makes sense, you know, and, and, walking around in circles and, you know, so many different things that, that he talks about or he's singing and, and, um, Dan Horner, the other guitarist who's doing sort of the backing vocals and that, that interplay that, you know, again, that you see in bands like brand new and, and, you know, taking back mm -hmm. Sunday and stuff, they are saying something and they, I think they are saying something real, but again, I think it is, it's just that, um, it is almost that feeling of being, you know, a teenager where you're, maybe so frustrated or so sad or so angry or, you know, you're, everything's jumbled up in your head that you just need that release. And I think that's what maybe spoke to me at the time, looking back on it because, but it was just the music and, and the interplay. I mean, there's such great musicians, you know, I, I think if anybody knows the band or maybe knows a story by now, but then um, 
Nate Mendel, the bass player, is a fantastic bass bass player. Is the bass been the bass player in the Foo Fighters since the beginning? And um, Will Goldsmith, the the drummer. So Will and Nate then left and joined Foo Fighters. They were like the original band Dave put together. Oh, I didn't did not know that. So it's like I mean, obviously accomplished musicians, but I think just the way that they uh they flowed together and, and it all fit together really just sort of spoke to me. Again, it's just that scope of their playing. I don't know. It it just it works for me. So when you listen to this album, do you go front to back or do you you pick out select tracks? No, I totally go front to back. And what's weird is when I was going through trying to pick my records. Mm-hmm one of the criteria was, can I sit down and listen to it? Or how often do I sit down and listen to it all the way through to even be in the running? And I think what, what is important with this one to listen to all the way through is in those first few minutes, when it starts, I think just like when seven hits, you know what you're in for. And then it takes this weird, it's sort of straight ahead driving guitar. And then it takes this weird sort of time signature change um Nate's bass comes in is just phenomenal on it and then you hear then it almost stops and you hear Jeremy's voice and then it just flows from there in circles I think is one of their greatest songs Yeah, you get it. Don't skip it. <laughs> I mean, there's a piano bowed in the middle. You know, some folks have, I've, I've seen some, you know, folks say, well, it gets, you know, it gets slower in the second half or, you know, it drops off in quality or whatever. But to me, it, um, you know, the piano bowed in the middle kind of has a shift to it. But to me, that was the same as hearing like. Um, you're talking about uh, the Fortune Scherto? I am going to commend you for trying to pronounce that. I intentionally did not because I have no idea. <laughs> but yeah, well, I was listening to that one and, yeah. and it's like, well, this is weird. What, what the hell is this? And, and then it hit me. This is a waltz. Exactly. It's literally a waltz. Yes. So maybe that's your My Chemical Romance, right? The black wall. We're, we're, we're tying it all yeah, together. Yeah, it was definitely It was definitely a weird one, but it, it, it does kind of fit in the album. It's like a almost like an intermission. You know, and to me, it reminded me of um, one of my other favorite albums, um, The Replacements, Let It Be, when the song Androgynous comes up and it's got that sort of piano ballad in the middle. And you're like, at first, you're like, this doesn't really fit or does it. And then when you listen to it all the way through and it, it kind of, you're right, intermission, and it sort of takes you off because then the, then it goes into, um, um, shadows. Yeah. Shadows and 48 and shadows is a fantastic song, but it starts off a little bit slower. So it's, it's almost like, you know, it finishes very strong though. It's like perfect sequences. Yeah. Again, I think it's just, especially that, that three, one, two, three punch of seven in circles, songs about an angel or even four. And then you go to round and 47. I, you just can't, you got to listen to it all. 
I highly recommend that. Yeah. I like round a lot. You know, say you got, you got track one, seven, track two in circles, track three is songs about an angel. And those are say, it's good. One, two, three. And then uh, track four, it, it, it picks up that energy because track three kind of does, you know, s- slows it down a little bit, but then round really kind of just brings that energy back to it. Is, uh, is a highlight and to go off on a little tangent here, there's a, a band called Deaf Heaven. I don't know if, if you're familiar with them or not, but um, came out with some pretty heavy metal, real dark, you know, kind of metal records. And then their last album, um, Infinite Granite, took a complete shift and it sounds um, more, it's more akin to, to, to this record. And I think Round is essentially like a blueprint for that album which is sort of strange, but the interplay of, of mm-hmm. lyrics and the heaviness. And, and so I say that just to say that it's, it's still, I think another reason why I love this record so much is because you can see sort of sprinkles of it, or at least I can in, in other genres of music that I also love or I also keep coming back to, or that still um, speak to me today. Um, you know, sonically at least. Yeah. Sonically I could revisit this album anytime uh every single track except for maybe the the waltz you know that's oh. that's not what i'm gonna rock out to okay um and, and then there's um um or is it grendel you're skipping that one i i i, I didn't know what the fuck that was okay. that, that one kind of <laughs> that one kind of threw me I, I did i did like when the music finally kicked in uh yeah. but but it was a, it was a bit of of nonsense and and this is coming from a pink floyd fan who we're you know Say Roger Waters can spout Scottish gibberish for 30 minutes and I'm enjoying it. So yeah, Grendel didn't really click with me, but the, uh, but the rest, pretty much every other track, Aside from those two, uh, I could I could easily put in a playlist listen listen anytime for the music. Not necessarily the lyrics don't like speak to me, but yeah. the but but yeah, that that's a that's a solid band playing together there. Yeah, totally. And I and I will say this as a as a as a Sunny Day fan, and their second album is more of a and it's called LP two. Um, they spent a lot of time <laughs> coming up with the title for it. Is more of a cohesive it's a better um it's a better record you know for them overall um Mm -hmm. i think it's the more cohesive of the two lps that they put out when they were originally together um but but they kind of broke up like right after that yeah it's sort of so um they started falling apart right after that i think jeremy um the lead singer um became a born again Christian. And then right around that time, Dave had Dave Grohl had just recorded the first Foo Fighters record and was looking for a backing band. And whether this is true or not, I believe the story goes that he went to see sunny day play and then got in touch with, with Nate and will the bass player and the drummer to see if they were interested in, in touring and writing on, you know, 
right behind that first Foo Fighters record. And then he just poached him. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the band was pretty much over with at that time. Anyway, um, sunny day real estate was, and I, I think, you know, Jeremy was taking a different path. Yeah. So like I said, Nate's been in the Foo Fighters ever since. Um, I believe, but yeah, they're, but they're, they got a different drummer, Taylor Hawkins. I think is. Yeah. Name. I think the story goes, Will was sort of, you know, he didn't click with Dave, you know, they were pretty much hired guns to, to cause Dave had recorded everything on that record. And I can only imagine trying to fill mm-hmm. the drum seat of, you know, of Dave Grohl. Yeah. And then when they were recording, because, because even the uh, video forever long has Taylor in there. Yeah. So I think Will was on the first tour with them. And then when they went to record their second record, I think he, I think he was in the recording session. And I believe whether this is hearsay or what, I think Dave went and then re-recorded all of his drum parts and, you know, offered to take him, you know, as a hired gun, you know, to play the live, to be the live drummer. And I think Will just said no. And that's when Taylor entered the fold there. I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure that, that, We'll just say that's foo lore at this point. <laughs> there you go. That'll work. It makes sense though. You know, just the, the Seattle music scene is a small community. You know, a lot, lot of, lot of interchangeable, uh, you know, as far as collaborations up there. Yeah, totally. Well, and it's weird too that not weird, but it's, I think, you know, especially with sunny day, because to me, we're getting this all, especially in, in a small town where we're, where we're at, you know, where we're from, you know, and at that time, everything, we were sort of getting everything all at once. Right. So there was, well, sunny days on sub pop or, or Nirvana's on sub pop. So they must've grown up together and, and all that kind of stuff. And, but sunny day is a different sort of generation than, than those guys, than Nirvana and those guys, they're a little bit younger, you know, Nirvana's first record is what, 87 or 88 with bleach you know, and I think they might only be like five or six years younger, but that's a big difference when you're, you know, 22, 23 years old. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, so when they're putting out this record, it's almost like, like I said, Nirvana's already huge. Grunge is the Seattle sound, you know, there's, you know, flannel, Mark Jacobs flannel shows and flannel, you know, all of that is, you know, maxed out to the nth degree. And so this was sort of something new, you know, that I learned in hindsight, looking back on it, that I wasn't really aware of at the time. To me, it was just, you know, it just spoke to me in a way, the same way that, you know, a Nirvana record did or Soundgarden did, or, you know, all of those bands that I loved. And it was just strange to me. I didn't understand why Sunny Day wasn't the biggest band in the world and no one else, you know, loved them as much as I did seemingly at the time but it makes sense in, in hindsight in here, you know, it feels silly saying that now because it, it is such a, you know, it's a fans of emo and, and sort of that genre, you know, I'm not doing it justice here on the podcast because it's a seminal record to them and a, and a cornerstone, you know, the blueprint for all those bands that you had mentioned before. But to me, I was coming at it sort of with that, um, those bands that I love, you know, that Nirvana, the, yeah, the, you know, even band, you know, Fugazi, like I said, I heard the Smiths in it. Um, the aggressiveness that I loved from, you know, Metallica, early Metallica records. Um, I heard that in sunny day. Okay. And then by the time emo really takes off, I was sort of off on a different path. Mm-hmm. So that's where I sort of, you know, I love those early bands, like the promise ring, like I mentioned before, 
Um, I do, you know, Jimmy Eat World and some of those bands I, I think are great, but then I started going into more, you know, that's what like when Wilco's coming out and sort of the alt country stuff is, you know, coming bigger and, and I was more mainstream rock than, than emo, I guess. Yeah. Those types of bands in those albums, I, I discovered years later. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, uh, I, I, I wasn't listening to. Uh, I mentioned this on Mike's. So I wasn't staying up and watching Alternative Nation or, or 120 Minutes. Uh, I, I wasn't really doing that. I would occasionally catch Headbangers Ball. Love that was kind of more love it. What I was listening to, I was it was either that or classic rock. I had a large influence from my my dad, cousin, and uncles as far as uh, like in '94. I was super pumped about the Hell Freezes Over Eagles reunion coming out. Yeah. And, and that 94, that was my musical world was why, why is nobody else caring about this? The Eagles are reuniting what no one cares. And, and, uh, I was just kind of alone with that one, but I was cool with that. Cause yeah, the Eagles are just phenomenal, but, uh, it was always in reverse that I was like, well, let me go back and listen to, uh, that album. Never mind. Let me go back and listen to 10. Let me go back and listen to Siamese dream. And then on the backside of high school in, in the Hank's garage, that's where all that music came together. Everything from like the past eight years, uh, the late eighties and then early nineties, all just so many CDs in that garage. Uh, but this wasn't one of them. Interesting. I don't ever remember sunny day making that, making that playlist there, which is a shame because it's, it's an excellent album. Uh, but we, we had Oasis in there and other things. Oh yeah. Great yeah, stuff. Yeah. But it was, this would have fit. It, it really would have, but I had never, I mean, I've, I heard seven many times, uh, but I could never have told you who sang it. Yeah. It was just a song that you'd hear, but where we grew up, there wasn't, you know, it's not like we were in a city where there were touring shows and, and posters. You know, we, you, you had to seek out a record store somewhere to find some of this stuff and like I said, Prue Mall, you had Disc Jockey, that's about it, or Sam Goody. And if you weren't staying up late and watching MTV, which is a shame, MTV doesn't have that musical influence anymore, because uh, it was such a good thing at the time, but the internet changes things. Right. Uh, but but this is, uh, uh, I'm glad you you know brought this. I never would have really listened to this one before. Cool. Yeah, it's so weird to think about too, is, is you know, it's almost the... I think where we're, we're at age wise, it's, it's weird to think about. There was a time where those influences were, you know, I got injustice for all, which is weird now, but, um, Michael, your past guest, my cousin, um, bought it for me from the spinner rack at Valley news and booze. Cause it was on there <laughs> and it was like my eighth birthday. And I have an eight year old now and I'm thinking, Oh my goodness. But just remember having that on my headphones and that brought me into a different world. And I, and you know, had I not seen one on Headbangers Ball, I might not have known who Metallica was. But then getting influences, you know, we were talking um, before we started recording about sort of um, listening to records and stuff growing up and, and like influential to me was, so my parents in the, you know, being born in the early 80s, me, not my parents, um, listening to their records and then, you know, it would be Pink Floyd, The Wall. And my mom would have, you know, John Cougar. He was still John Cougar then. John Cougar, Mellencamp. Um, but on the radio, it's it's Prince and it's Springsteen. And it's, um, you know, all of these seminal artists that, you know, now you take for granted as canon. But this is when they're making those big records. And then having, you know, babysitters come over and listening to 
you know, poison or wham or, you know, whoever. Um, and then my cousins were big into the eighties hair metal scene. And then my other cousin was, you know, into this, turned me onto the Smiths and television, you know, the cure who I absolutely, you know, love, you know, and then it's, it's been talked to death, but it, and then it's Nirvana. And, you know, for me, it was Nirvana and Pearl Jam and hearing 10 for the first time, just, you know, being in, being in the 10 club is the longest relationship I've ever had in my life. Um, <laughs> that's a whole other podcast, but it's, <laughs> you know, but it was, it's sort of that love of growing up on that classic rock, but then falling in love, you know, hearing like appetite for destruction, you know, that seventies where now it's dirty and it's bluesy and it's heavy. And then you're getting into, you know, Soundgarden and then Nirvana and Pearl Jam, like I said, you know, and then, you know, Alice in Chains comes out and, and the pumpkins and the, the great Chicago scene, but you're getting it in bits and pieces. And I think that's what was, you know, which was really different than here. And really to me, the first time, you know, I heard this record, but the first time I really fell in love with it is when I got a car and it was my, I had an 83 Datsun Maxima. This is how old we are. Um, nice. And it, it was, it had a cassette deck and it was so small that if I sit up, um, sat up straight, my head would fit through the, the sunroof, but I had the cassette deck. And I just remember I had this and I think like the talking heads, um, standing the Vaseline greatest hits, you know, and like a couple others that I would have, but you know, the, the ultimate Midwest, you know, rite of passage that I still love to this day, you know, the windows are down, the radio's up and just, you know, this is one of those records that it, I highly encourage everyone, if you can, if you have a CD player, you know, you Bluetooth, whatever, hook it up, roll the windows down, crank it up, just drive. It's just fantastic. And I think that's when I felt really fell in love with it. Um, but you know, it was, it was, you know, on my Walkman a lot as well. And it was just, it's always just been a part of my life. Um, I don't, you know, I didn't listen to it or it's not something I go back to often, but it's always, it's just always on. It's just so weird. It just always comes up. Now, did you stay a Sunny Day uh, fan throughout their their tenure? Because I think I think they got like three and a half albums. I have to say, so they uh, the first two I loved. Um, then, like I said, they took a little break. They they've released some stuff. They've gotten back together a few times. I've listened to those records. I can't say that I'm. I they don't they don't speak to me in that same way mm-hmm. as this does. I think this is you know Diary is just something. I respect them for what they are, those, those records. And I think they're great and worth listening to. And again, to me, LP two is, is the more sort of complete record, but diary to me is just so it just that visceral feeling that it gives me. So, you know, I'm blabbering, but a, a longer way to say that I haven't kept up with them the way that I have with other bands, but that was also mm-hmm. because they were taking, you know, intermittent releases and they were taking breaks and on again, off again, and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Without the consistency of being, a fully collaborative band over the years, it'd be hard to hard to stay up to date with them. Cause you never really know what their current status is or if they're going to put something else out. And like I said, the one guy's still in the Foo Fighters. So that's, that's a hard, hard gig to, yeah. <laughs> to give up there. It almost feels like a, a lightning in a bottle, you know, kind of a moment, th- this album with the, the way they came together, the music they, they put out and you've got, you know, on a, on an indie label, sub pop, you know, almost like a, hard to repeat sort of instance. Yeah, I could see that. Um, again, it's very, 
you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm pausing. I'm cautious with it just because to me. And I think, um, I think at the time this was like sub pops, like second biggest record behind Nirvana's, um, when it first came out. And I, I think at one point it was like their seventh still, you know, a decade or two later, it was still their like seventh selling record of all time. And you're talking about like the postal service and fleet foxes and some of the huge names that sub pop has had on their, on their roster and continue to put out. So it is a, it is a massive, um, record that, that gets its due. Again, I think that second record is, is fantastic, but you're right. I, I think whatever it is, and, and it's like any band, you know, trying to stay together and trying to keep things going. And it, it just seems like they were in completely different places. You know, um, Jeremy, um, becomes a born again Christian when I, which I, you know, imagine causes, you know, strife between himself and, you know, the lifestyle and, and, you know, yeah. who knows, you know, this is conjecture on my point, but it just seems, you know, and by the time now you're getting into the late 90, mid to late nineties and early two thousands and the landscape has completely changed in terms of what's popular and what's not popular. And, you know, who knows? It, it's definitely, it came out in the right time for me and for a lot of folks. Um, but I don't know if, you know, had they, had it come out a few years earlier or a few years later, if it would have made a difference, if they would have stayed together or, or what, uh, before we go on to the short list, what are your favorite tracks on this album? Well, it's cliche, but the, the first two seven and in circles are, are fantastic to me. If, if you want to get across what sunny day is about in two songs, play somebody, those two songs or listen to those two songs. Um, I can see that round, like you mentioned is, is all to, I've, I've got it highlighted in my notes here. And I think we touched on it here, but I wanted to make sure I talked about that. Um, those, those three for sure. I do love, um, songs about an angel, um, shadows, I think is fantastic. But if I, if I had to choose only one or two songs off the record, I would say, um, in circles and then seven. I thought the, uh, I thought the album ended really strong with sometimes. Mm. And I wanted to make a, a note about that. It's, it's a, a, a unique song on the album, but it, the, the full band kicks in midway through the song. And it, because I, I started out thinking, I think this is the ending. Okay. All right. Yeah. But then the full band kicks in and I changed my, my feeling on the song and it, it really is a strong finale on the album. That's a great point. Yeah. Well, I think too, we, you know, we were talking about the, the waltz <laughs> in, in some of those moments on it where you're like, Oh, what is, what is happening? Um, and then when the band kicks in or something to think that this was the debut record and, you know, the sort of this shift in, you know, I keep talking about the Seattle sound, but the shift in that, and, and what I was talking about before is almost that, I don't know if it's a generational divide, but between the, those big records coming out of Seattle right before. And then this record is think of all the different genres that, that are on this record and, you know, putting a waltz on or having this quiet moment. And it's not like loud, you know, loud, quiet, loud, or whatever, you know, the Nirvana formula or the Pixies formula. It was just done in such a different way and different time signatures. And I think there's a lot going on on this record that the more, you know, 
in fact, I was just listening to it before we got on again, just, you know, I've been playing it over and over again, but I was listening to it on headphones and I, I was hearing parts of like Nate's um, bass parts on some songs again for the first time, if you will. And, and I think there's just a lot of great musicianship again on this. And, and it, it's a record that you can spend time with, you know, I've spent, you know, 30 plus years with it and still I'm hearing something new. So I, I think it is a, a great record for diving into being able to, get something new out of it every time you listen to it. And, and that speaks to sort of those, those things that the band was, I guess the chances they were willing to take. And like you mentioned on, you know, this is the way you're going to end an album. And then the full band kicks in and you're like, Oh my, you know, brings you back. Yeah, exactly. If you have it on repeat, it brings you right back into, you know, the jump start mm-hmm. and the, the fire way they kick off the record. It, I think a lot of that credit can also go to Brad Wood who, who produced it. Totally. And that's a, that's a guy who, who worked with like Liz fair and, and the pumpkins. And uh, this record was recorded in Chicago with the, oh, because of that, because of that reason, because of those bands you just mentioned in their, their sounds and success. So maybe that's why I love it. Cause it's a Chicago record, <laughs> Chicago record with a Seattle lineup. I mean, that's, that's the perfect marriage right there. But right? You met, yeah. But I mean, you mentioned Liz fair and those band, you know, the, the scene and the pumpkins and the scene that's going on in Chicago and Brad at the time and, and just fantastic, you know? So, and, and I think you can hear that in this, in this record as well. So diary made your top spot. What was on your short list? I'm showing it for the listeners. I've got a list of like 50 and I won't, I won't go through them all, but <laughs> You know, I mentioned like um, Injustice for All um, that really changed. It was the first sort of me record, if you will, the first record that I had of my own that it wasn't um, wasn't my my parents' music, and I don't mean that like in a bad way, but it wasn't something they had shown me or like um, everyone was listening to at the time. Like I would listen to it in headphones, and it would you know scare me and and excite me. You know, and I'm like eight or nine, and and that's a it's a pretty heavy record. Um, the Cure's Disintegration, I think, is an absolute masterpiece, um, which I could go on and on about. That band um, just is, I think, is fantastic. They've got something new in the works coming out, too, so I can't wait to hear that. Nevermind, of course, um, was a game changer and something I still listen to a lot. Then there's like um, some great, rec- like the Hold Steady. I don't know if you listen to the Hold Steady at all. Yeah. Great band. Yeah, my, and- my wife turned me on to them. Oh, yeah. They are fantastic. I think Boys and Girls in America is a masterpiece by them. Um, one that I was really, was really close to scrapping sunny day, <laughs> not scrapping, but changing was, um, wallflowers by Tom Petty. I think just, Oh, is, that's a good one is just unbelievable in the way released in 94. And you're thinking all of this is going on and here, Tom is making this record, um, with Rick Rubin and, you know, does he still have it in him? And he's going through it's, it's, it's a solo record, even though most of the band is on heartbreakers are on it. And, you know, it's his divorce record, but you know, he's the only one who knows he's getting a divorce at the time. You know, it's just, and the songwriting and, and it's still, yeah, I got the chance to see Tom Petty, uh, right the year before he died. Oh, uh, fantastic. And that was, it was a fluke. Just some friends of ours like, Hey, we got two extra tickets to Tom Petty. Like, yeah, 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 sure. We'll go. And it was a great show. Oh, unbelievable. really, really good. Uh, and there's, a. Uh, I, I had to go out and buy it, uh, his anthology, uh, because there is a 12 minute version of, uh, it's good to be King. Yeah. Fantastic. And it, 
And that, that version is just, it has yet to leave my, my main playlist. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Just that whole, there's a great, um, documentary about the recording of that album. Um, I forget the title of it now, but worth the watch. I mean, just, you can't go wrong with Petty. I mean, he's as an American rock icon, obviously other albums that changed my, I mean, really like the replacements, let it be. I actually, we were talking about, you know, the record stores and stuff. I actually got that at a record store in LaSalle. I don't know if you ever remember hearing their records in LaSalle. It was sort of down by, um, it was downtown, um, downtown LaSalle, not too far from where like the uptown, maybe a little bit further down the block Okay, from there. And, um, when I was like 13, yeah, I, I was 13 and started doing a community theater at stage 212, which is the yeah, um, yeah. theater there and started acting and stuff. And, and that was another great way to hear music from God, you know, cause you being 13 and you're in plays with, you know, men and women, <laughs> you know, in college or high school who are listening to stuff. Yeah. But I must've, I walked in there, somebody was like, Hey, we're going to the store, walked in there and I had no idea, you know, I'm 13 years old or something. And the guy behind the counter was asking me what I was listening to and stuff. And he's like, well, you, you have to hear this record. And it didn't even have a cover. It was just like somebody had, it, it just said, let it be in, in pen. And it was like $3 or something. And it was obviously used and like, it was all worn off. And like it didn't have song titles. And I wore, I played that <laughs> until it broke. It's just, it's still a masterpiece to me. There's some newer records that I, well, Neil Young, Crazy Horse Zuma is on my short list. I think that's a, okay unbelievable record yeah there's some newer bands that i absolutely uh, a band called japan droids out of canada they have a great record called celebration rock if you're into the whole study um even spring i'm going to say springsteen not in the way that they sound but in the the context of their the, the lyrics and that working class and um okay passion highly recommend that record and then there's a band out of um, it's actually one guy, but a band out of Indiana called strand of Oaks. Um, he's putting out, his name's Tim Showalter and he's been putting out fantastic records for a long time, but sort of the record that, um, that got him a wider audience, a record called heel is I cannot recommend it enough. Um, Jay Maskus from dinosaur junior, um, plays guitar on one song. So that's sort of the genre, but it just beautiful songwriter. Um, if you love, the pumpkins, you know, if you love diary after you hear it or, um, Siamese dream, especially, um, but it, it goes off from there. He's a very great songwriter. If you think of bands like maybe the war on drugs, who I love their new record is fantastic. Um, Kurt vile, he's got sort of, um, interplays of that going on. So I love that record, but yeah, there's just so many counting crows, August and everything after from start to finish. Um, Soul I got a friend that wants to bring that one in next next season. It's fantastic. Um, it is a good album. Yes. And I didn't realize, so that was one of the, uh, one of the cassettes that I, so growing up, you know, with the cassette players and you could bring stuff in and it started with like, um, big one for me was Bon Jovi's New Jersey, which come on, is fantastic record. I will. It is. Yeah. John can write songs, man. I'll be there for you. Come on. These five words, that, I swear that, that's, to you. That's one that I, I have to unfortunately give credit to to my sister, who's two years older than me. So when in the eighties, that was blasting in our house from from her room. I Bonjo, my first 
t-shirt my first band t-shirt ever, which I still have is, um, my dad bought me a Bon Jovi t-shirt. It's about, you know, a size child small or something. <laughs> um, but just a, a fantastic songwriter. Um, there's just so many, but, uh, you know, but going back to counting crows, it's one of those records where, um, like even listening to it now, I didn't realize, um, or where I was going with this anyway, it was one of those cassettes that I could play in the van and my parents really dug it too. You know, the, my parents, I'll give okay, them credit. Yeah. They love never. My dad loves Nevermind, um, loves Nirvana and they're, you know, really, they love the counting crows and stuff. And growing up and, you know, heard it was just great rock music, but then as I got older, just the, the lyrics and how, you know, Adam just, you know, riding through his depression and all that sort of stuff. And it, it's just, it reminds me of the same way listening back to it now um, with hindsight and sort of life experience. It reminds me of listening to soul sound grave dancers union. And mm-hmm. I say that because everybody knows runaway train and the video, but if you sit down and like, listen to the lyrics of that song and you know, um, Dave is riding through his depression and, you know, called you up in the middle of the night, um, like a firefly looking for a light. Um, I was a little out of touch, little insane, you know, it's just easier than dealing with the pain. And he's, you know, it's just, it's the same way. Um, it's just, just fantastic songwriting is, is I guess what I'm trying to say, but it's, it's cool to have those records, you know, growing up and you're listening to them and then being able to revisit them now and getting so much more out of them. Which is a gigantic bonus of this project. Fantastic. And, and I do have do, to mention to it all. there is one record that I absolutely loved growing up. Um, Gin Blossom's new miserable experience and yeah, I that. Hey Jealousy. And so if you don't know the backstory of that band, I, I highly recommend looking it up They're from Arizona. Um, what I, what I didn't know about the time is that the main guy in that band, Doug Hopkins, who wrote all the lyrics, um, he ends up, you know, getting booted from the band. He's a pretty bad alcoholic. It's in the booting from the band, like right as they make it big, but he wrote some of those earlier songs and they, and if you go through and listen to that record, you can tell it's, it's, um, very much a, you know, it's a darker record than, you know, you can think about it. And, and, hmm. you know, one of the famous, like, Hey, jealousy. Um, one of the things that he was bummed about is, is when they released it, they reworded his lyrics, but it was like, um, the way it's released is you can trust me not to think and not to sleep around from Hey jealousy. But he, he actually wrote it. You can trust me not to drink and not to sleep around. And it's all about, you can see I'm no shape for driving in any way. I've got no place to go. And it's just, but when you hear it, you know, it's that poppy, it's that you're going back to today, right. And smashing yeah. pumpkins and it's, it's joyful and you're getting a kick out of it, especially when you're a kid and you have no life experience. And then you're like, Oh my God, this guy was dealing with, <laughs> there yeah, is there, depth, there's a lot of, there is depth. To there's a lot of songs song. from our, from our, you know, teenage years that just, you know, you rock out to, but then you go back and you look at the lyrics like, wow, we were, Maybe that's we were, why we're singing that. Maybe that's why our, <laughs> our generation is uh, doing so well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> our therapists think of the uh, pop artists from our generation. <laughs> the killer in me is the killer in you. Oh, send a smile <laughs> over to you. Yeah. Just there's so many good records, Steve. That's what, like I said, I, it was not hyperbole when you had asked me to be on, um, I automatically got, I want to touch on that with, 
But then you go back and you listen to a lot of like Beatles. Oh yeah. Same thing. I mean, oh, these goodness. are some great, great, you know, you know, snappy radio hits and just everyone, you know, can tap your foot. But then when you dive into the lyrics, you're either thinking, what are they on? What are they talking about? Or I, there's so many interpretations, I remember but at the time, you know, it's just kind of, that's a great song. And then move on to the next. I remember singing along like um, Maxwell Silverhammer, you know, as a three <laughs> and a four year old, you know, it was, it was almost like a lullaby. And then you're like, Oh wait, yeah. this is literally about a serial killer killing people with his uh, hammer. What are we doing? I think I actually have it on it. I put it, I made a, uh, um, Beatles for baby playlist when my daughter was born just to have it playing. I have that. Nice. I've got, I've got it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah my, my, both, both my kids, those are lullabies. Yeah. And I, I think that might be on it or something. And I was just like, Oh my God, I hope, I hope they don't aren't hearing the lyrics. <laughs> yeah. I remember one of my more favorite tunes growing up uh, from the white album was happiness is a warm gun. Unbelievable. And, and I would know, you know, I would sing every word. And then, you know, later on, like I was singing that at what age? That's, that's, Oh wow! Yeah, isn't it isn't it crazy? It's such a great. That's not even getting into the '90s hip hop that you know. Wow, that you know, everyone had to. Yeah, yeah that, that's another world. I remember getting in trouble because I would. I'm a big lyrics guy, and I would write down lyrics to my favorite song. You know, when you're in high school and you're supposed to be taking notes, I would write down lyrics to my favorite songs, see if I could remember them and stuff. Well, I started doing that with like hip hop songs, and like my parents would find like you know, <laughs> gin and juice lyrics. And I had no idea, you know, I'm just writing stuff down. I, you know, like what, what, what you're shooting? What, what, what is this iced tea? <laughs> well, my, uh, uh, my mom was real big into show tunes. Okay. So, you know, the, uh, all the, all the classic musicals, you know, your sound of music, it, Oklahoma, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But, but Greece was very popular. She loved it. Oh my God. Loved it. The movie Greece was, was on quite a bit. Yeah. And, and I, and I knew every, every word of that particular one. And then it was, it was years later. Uh, I think I was in the army at the time. I just remember seeing it, the song, uh, grease lightning with subtitles on and you start seeing, you know, all the, all the chicks are creaming and stuff. It's like, Oh yeah. I, I, I never noticed these lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Wow. Did she put up a fight? Tell me more. Tell me more. What? Yeah. Then you, then you get into that area of it. What are we doing here? Yeah. And you're singing it like crazy. It would, it would be at every like dance, you know, you're singing at the mm-hmm. top of your lungs and oh, isn't this a cute song? I think the yeah, seventh graders put it on nice, a play. You know? Yeah. You're like, Oh, okay. Different yeah. time. Different time. <laughs> uh, it's about the fifties. Apparently that was okay in the fifties. <laughs> And, and when you watch the movie, apparently it was okay for 30 year olds to be in high school in the fifties because there's no way those are high school students. <laughs> I think Rizzo might be, I, I think she might be like 40 or 50, the actress when in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Stocker Channing. Yeah. Has, I has couldn't think age. of her thing. She, yeah. 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 She, she has been like the same age ever since Greece. It seems like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, once you hit your mid thirties, you know, if you take care of yourself, <laughs> Yeah, it, it yeah, very, yeah, they're singing summer nights. They've got almost full beards, a couple of them, and just you know. right. <laughs> That's Unreal. right. Unreal. <laughs> it is amazing that when you go back and listen to um well, even like the songs of the day, we're talking about like Prince, like Little Red Corvette, when you know, um Well, Prince lyrics. Well, that's a whole nother podcast there. Got a pocket full of horses, some of them are used. <laughs> You're like, oh, there's a little right. red Corvette. It's playing at the Spring Valley pool and we're all singing along to it. 
Yeah. Po- yeah. What is it? Pocket full of horses, Trojans, and some of them were used, I think is the lyric. Or is the little Nikki or Nikki Darling, something like that. Darling uh, Nikki, yeah. Darling Nikki, that's it. Yeah, there's some some crazy Prince lyrics. Yeah, yeah. But we're singing along to them. We have no idea. Well, I mean, just, you know, I was probably, you know, six or seven singing Billie Jean. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Weren't we all? Not having a clue what I'm singing. You know, that's, yeah. I think it's so funny, too, because I'm, you know, as a parent now and you're, you're, you know, doing all those things you swore you would never do, like, um, but then a song will come on. I'm like, oh, my, what are they singing? That's filthy. And they have no idea. You know, and it's, None. we listen, we do like the kids bop version of yep. songs. So they, they edit it and stuff. And then I make the mistake of, they want to listen to it. So I just put it on thing. You know, what's the name of the song you want to hear? And you're like, Oh wait, mm. I ha- this is not the edited version. And they have no idea, but it's like, what are we singing about? Yeah. 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 There's, there's a lot of those. We, we, we have the same, you know, kids bop revelation now and then when the, when they hear the actual song. Yeah. And I didn't think anything about it or when they tell people that their favorite song is, you know, by Megan the stallion because they've, you know, they've heard the kids bop version and then you get those weird side glances and I'm like, Oh, I, I don't think, you know, (laughs) but I can, I can die happy if I never hear old town road again, either version. So (laughs) God, that's a horrible song. You know, honestly it was, for me, the breaking point was took my daughter to see Jojo Siwa uh, a couple summers ago. If you haven't had the, the joy of, of Jojo um, and they started playing that song on the loudspeaker before she came on and the, the, the place just went crazy. Like the kids were going like screaming and crazy. And it was just the, the culmination of everything that was going on and, and what I was about to, you know, what I was about to endure and God bless her, you know, Jojo and, and her fans. And, and she's a very talented young lady, but, um, I'm, I'm a middle-aged man. And <laughs> it was just the culmination of all that where I'm like, I just, so now I just equate that song with, with my discomfort. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great song though. Little Nas has got it going on, man. I feel that I'm doing something right. Uh, because I'm going off the, I'm trying to, to pull, pull my kids away. And my, uh, five-year-old daughter will repeatedly ask me for the bad teacher song. And, and I'll, I'll put on the whole of another brick in the wall. One happiest days of our lives. And part two, she loves the whole thing. Sings along to it. Doesn't know what she's singing. And I'm okay with that to any people, you know, critiquing my parenting it's Pink Floyd and she's going to listen to it. Fantastic. So yeah, we've constantly got stuff going on here. It's the same. And that makes you so happy. Doesn't it? It truly does. To hear her singing along, just, you know, uh, Hey, teacher this is so cute yeah <laughs> as long as she doesn't do that yeah at school yeah, at school you know, i gotta 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 right you gotta, gotta reel that in but yeah. although there would be a sense of pride if you got called in and had to sit down and you know <laughs> your little ones yelling leave those kids alone to your teacher you know you might be okay with that i, I would have pride anyway <laughs> yeah I, I might have to kind of smile reprimand her like don't do that again yeah <laughs> We'll talk when we get home. <laughs> High five on the way out. No, it's great. It's funny that you I, I haven't played her anything else from that album. That that might be a bit too much. She doesn't need to sing any other lyrics from the wall. That's that, that might yeah, trauma her. Probably not. 
Oh, it, it is so great though. When they, when you, when they're listening to something or, or like, I'll have something on and they're like, Oh, what is that? Or they'll catch something. Um, and it's just like, Oh, okay. We're doing okay. <laughs> I've got an opening. Let me play you something. Right. <laughs> I know you, I know we're going to rebel and you're going to have your own thing and that that's fantastic, but I'm, we've got to get this foundation in. You've, you've got to exactly. have, you got to have a jumping off point. There's a few that they, that they'll request. Um, went through a big dead phase um, not too long ago. I, I got into the dead later in life, um, but they, my kids call them the teddy bear band. So they want to listen to the teddy bear Fair band enough. sometimes. And I'm like, all right. Uh, my, my kids have oddly zeroed in on good Charlotte recently. Okay. Uh, Cause it, uh, their debut album was one that I was considering. I, I really, really liked that album. Gotcha. Uh, so I was listening to it all the way through and, and uh, that's what's one that they'll request, and I'm I'm happy to oblige. That's that's a great album, and nice. it's it's pretty it's pretty tame lyrically, and yeah. uh, uh, and it's it's boppy. They can move their heads. It's not kids bop. It's actually a you know nice <laughs> pop punk from the you know early two thousands, and I'm I'm all for it. Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah, you got to get them into their own their own stuff. But we like we a lot of the Beatles stuff the kids listen to. Um, my daughter got into, um, we actually, she listens to the, uh, so for all the parents out there, this is when I, the comments come in, but the Hamilton soundtrack. And mm-hmm. so my wife got her the like Hamilton for kids, um, sort of book. And they read along with it and what the songs meant and sort of, and then the history of it, you know, sort of, so it was a history lesson and listening to it at the same time, but she just loved it. And so then that started a whole other, you know, she wanted to hear more music that sounded like that. So she wanted to hear more like rap music. And, you know, so then we had then, but then it got into like show tunes. So I would play her, you know, some, some of my Broadway favorite songs. And so it was sort of a a jumping off point of sorts. Sit her down and make her watch 1776. Yeah. There you go. Get you. That's coming up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Dad's watching the history channel. One of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't quite gotten there yet. They won't let me man the TV. Um, <laughs> I'm trying, but you know, the history channels where they, they tune out. <laughs> All right. Well, before we wrap this up, uh, please tell our listeners what you're working on. If they can find you anywhere or anything you'd like to pitch. I got nothing, Steve. <laughs> I don't really perfectly fine. Um, no, I've got nothing. I just, you know, I, uh, nothing to pitch really. You know, I would just say, you know, like we were talking about before to any listeners out there, if you haven't heard a record before, you know, that's on this episode or anything to mention, um, either from this episode or other episodes, go back and listen to it, give it a listen for the first time for the 500th time. Um, and just, I think that's, what's so great about music is you can keep going back and listening to it and and discovering new bands and new things and, and whether it came out 20 years ago or whether it came out 20 minutes ago to discover something new and to go back, I would just implore your listeners to do that, which I'm sure they are since they're listening to this podcast. Excellent point. The, uh, I will, uh, take your, your, your pitch time though, and just let everybody know out there that future episodes are up on our Patreon. So feel free to support the show. If you want to hear the episodes before everybody else, uh, and also check out our other podcasts, which is cinema decon where we talk about old movies from the eighties, nineties, and two thousands. It's a pretty good time. Uh, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and, you know, 
like subscribe, do all that good stuff that, you know, podcasters are supposed to say, what are we supposed to say? Smash the subscribe button or is that YouTube? I, my influencers are kind of off. Smash that like button. Smash that like yeah. button, bro. Yeah. <laughs> did, did we, is that what the kids are saying? Did we get that one right? Something like that. Yeah. I, I try to try to avoid the cliches as much as I can, but I'm just trying to fit uh, in, I'm trying to get to skew the younger demographic. <laughs> just talked about a 35 year old record. So I figured we'd, we'd get him with the lingo. <laughs> yeah. The nineties were great. <laughs> Well, Danny, I'd like to thank you for your time today. It was a pleasure to sit and talk with you about Diary from Sunny Day Real Estate. Thanks for having me, Steve. This was fantastic. Good catching up. And uh, I'm I looking forward to future episodes, man. Like I said, I've been listening to them a lot and, and uh, hearing stuff again for the first time um, or hearing stuff for the first time as well. And uh, love what you're doing. Keep up the good work, man. And again, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. I appreciate that. Thank you for listening to Music Rewind, a podcast from the Sidereal Media Group. And as I always say, listen to the full album. Until next time. A podcast from the Sidereal Media Group. Back to you, anchors.